this morning, and uh, we just get something special from heaven. Amen. Well, good morning. How is everybody? There's a few people good. That's good to hear. You guys alive and well? Love Jesus in this place? Good. Hey, what a great pulpit. Who made this one, Scott? Uh, don't know. Rex. Awesome. Now, how do I drive this thing? How many gears does it have? It's even got, you should see this, it's even got an inlay for like your iPad and your... Um, now, this is luxury. I'm not used to this kind of opulence. So, hey, it's so great to be with you this morning. Uh, it's a bit of a dream come true, to be honest. Um, as you would have heard from Scott, but I'm sure many of you that I know, you would have seen me many years ago um, at the tender age of, well, I don't know, something, 18. Um, spent a lot of my teenage years here, and uh, most of my discipleship happened here uh, at Calvary, and years, probably eight or nine years that I'll never, ever forget that left an indelible mark on my life. So it's actually a bit of a spin out. It's a bit of a trip out to be here this morning and to, uh, to, to preach here. So I'm excited. I don't know if you're excited. I'm excited because God always does good things and you'll have to forgive me if I start slurring my speech. We got in yesterday, um, left Thursday morning from Denmark and flew from Copenhagen to London, then London to Singapore and Singapore to Brisbane and so um, maybe some prayer catches might be good just in case I lose my balance and fall off the stage, could harm some small children or something like that. But um, yeah, I, it's, it's amazing that the faithfulness of God and the goodness of His plan, because when I was about 18, 19, when, when I moved on from Calvary, I left just as a musician. I left as a drummer and this dream and this aspiration, I thought God's call for my life was to be like this awesome drummer and then just one day maybe if someone happened to have a conversation with me uh, that I could just tell them about Jesus and I thought that was the ultimate call for my life. You know, hey, why are you such an awesome drummer, Joel? Oh, it's because of Jesus. Great, can you lead me to him? Now that's, God had so many other uh, plans in place and um, I'm really looking forward to sharing more of that story with you. But um, unfortunately, I, uh, I had to leave my beautiful wife and son at home in Denmark um, just because I just had to protect them from the dangerous animals. But I have a photo. They send their greetings. My beautiful wife, Helena, and my son, Matthias, who eats so much that I have to take whatever opportunity I can to, to get a, a bite in. And you look at me and you go, you don't have any trouble, Joel. <laughs> getting any bites in, um, but they send their love and their greetings. And also, I brought with me um, two great friends and partners in ministry from, originally from Wales, so if you can't understand them, um, just pray for the gift of interpretation of tongues. And um, Wayne and Gwenda Simmons, let's welcome them this morning. We've been... We've been talking about doing a trip to Australia for probably about five years at least, and it's such an honour to bring them. Um, you, you may not have ever heard of them, but uh, Wayne and Gwenda are pioneers in Europe. Probably, I, I refer to Wayne as the original youth pastor of Europe, and just uh, done an amazing job pioneering churches and youth ministries and networks in Europe, and it's it's exciting to have them here. You know, much like Scott was saying, we'd be dry, when Dad picked us up from the airport and we're driving down some streets and I'd go to turn to Wayne and go, oh, oh so many memories. I, I remember Lindale Street and this one, oh, I can't share that story. Dad's in the car or some other streets. Oh, this is the street that we, nah, I shouldn't say that either because, because Dad will find out. So um, many, many, many great memories and I'm looking forward to saying hi to more of you. So many great people to catch up with and um, just while I'm at it because this is what I'm told that preachers and ministers do. Um, if you want to follow our journey in, in December last year, um, many of you who know us knew that we were youth pastors at another church in Brisbane called IC Church and um, I, I did marry a beautiful Danish Viking princess called Helena but that wasn't the reason why we moved to Denmark in December last year, God finally 
told us to take the step to move to Europe uh, to serve him and start an exciting new ministry. And we've been there all of about six months and many amazing and exciting things have happened. When we, when we go back in July, oh well actually two, two weeks ago we started our first ever youth leadership uh, summit or conference called Lift Leaders and, and we had about 50 young leaders there which apparently is just unheard of in Denmark because um, it's such a secular country. And some people would say to me, wow, that's really exciting that you're moving to Europe. Europe's such a beautiful place and all of these things that are there. And I'm like, yeah, it is beautiful, but it also just happens to be the most secular place on the face of the planet. And uh, to get 50-odd leaders out to the first ever leaders event, like leadership is a swear word, especially in Scandinavia. They would much rather sit in a circle, hold hands and sing Kumbaya that's um, more the leadership style over there, but we've got exciting things that just happened. When we go back, we've got a, um, uh, a, a national youth camp that we're running in Wales in August, and um, running, Wayne's running an incredible leadership and Bible school. Many exciting things, but if you want to follow us on that journey, you can um, add us on social media or head to liftleaders.com, or if you'd like to support us, I've got a few of these little brochures if you'd like to, to, to pray or invest into what God's doing over there, I believe that it is time for an absolute move of God in Europe. And I believe it's going to start by investing in the next generation. And um, so we're really, really excited about that. But um, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 2, I'm going to read the key text for my message this morning. And uh, I read from the New Living Translation Um, But John chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Give me a yeah when you're there. There's a few people there. That rhymes, he said that, yeah. I I spit bars on a regular basis. All right, sorry, that's youth vernacular apparently. Okay, John chapter 2, verses 1 says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. That's a bad move. So Jesus told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus said. Now, let me stop right there. Any of you you who knew Kerry Bagnall would know, that's a life-altering statement right there. To talk to your mum like that. Jesus was a bold man. Dear woman... I wouldn't even get through the word woman and there would be a shoe coming my way. (laughs) That's not our problem, Jesus replied. Again, and that some people say the water to wine is the first miracle. I think the fact that Jesus didn't die then was the first miracle in the Bible. Just just I don't know, I could build a theology around that, who knows? But um he said, My time has not yet come, but like a true mother does. She turned to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you to do. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for ceremonial washing. Yuck. That's, they would, you know, wash their feet and their beards in that. Uh, Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. Young people, I'm not talking about rap artists. I'm talking, it's anyway, an MC. Uh, So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, because he probably wouldn't have drunk it, um, though the servants knew, that sounds like a practical joke. (laughs) He's going to drink that foot water. Um, He called the bridegroom over and said, a host always serves the best wine first he said then when everyone has had a lot to drink he brings out the less the less expensive wine but you have kept the best until now let's pray father god i thank you for such moments like this lord moments that you've been positioning us for for a long time and we just thank you for your heart for us no measure can compare to what your desire is for us, a desire for us to experience all that you are, God, to receive all that you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that you will come and touch every mind, every heart, every soul, God, that we would set aside distractions, 
God, that we would set aside previous understandings, Lord, and we would just turn our eyes and attention on what you want to speak to us about this morning. We just pray, come and move in your power and your presence this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. What a great story. What a, from water to wine. Man, you know, I, I grew up in church before we, we came to, to Calvary Family Church, and, you know, our family, and there is still some of the, the, the relic here. We went to Barden Road Uniting Church. Yeah, hi, Schultz family. See down there, the Elveries. What's see? They, they know the story. We went to, to Barden Road Uniting Church, and then we migrated over to Calvary, and some of us are still here, some of us have moved on, and uh, since all of that, I've managed to go to Bible college and been credentialed as an ACC pastor, and I've understood many things about the Bible, but there's one miracle that I always struggled to fully understand, and that was, why did Jesus turn water into wine? Especially as a youth pastor, when I would try and counsel young people and tell young people, hey, maybe it's not a good idea to drink so much, or maybe, you know, you're 12 years old, maybe don't drink at all, and then sometimes some smart young people would say, yeah, but Jesus loves wine. He turned water into wine. Thanks, Jesus. Why did you do that? Now, the other thing that I had a bit of a beef with was why was it Jesus' first miracle? I mean, if you, if you understand the Bible, it, was, it wasn't God the Father that created the universe. It was Jesus, So Jesus had already done this amazing work on behalf of the Father and then he comes to earth and then he just takes care of some catering at a wedding. It's not like the King of Kings and Lord of Lords needed a warm-up miracle. It's like you go from water to wine to bang, someone being healed from leprosy or healing and then raising from the dead. He wasn't just showing his catalogue of tricks. It was always something that bugged me about this. I couldn't ever get my head around it. So for many years, I said, God, can you just show me what's so significant about this miracle? You know, why was it the first one? Why was it so public? Why does it seem so trivial when you compare it to God raising someone from the dead? There's got to be more to this. There's got to be something about this that we need to apply to our, to our lives. And like a, a millennial, I did what we all do when we went and consulted Dr. Google and uh, specifically Wikipedia, the source of all truth other than the Bible. And no, that's not true. Don't quote me on that one. So I went to Googling why from water to wine and I, I saw all sorts of different theories. One theory was it was a symbol of the new covenant. You know how in um, uh, Moses turned the, uh, the, the, the river Nile into blood it was a as like a a signal of the new covenant of grace therefore you know we're not paying with blood but we're in a, a new season a new era or i saw some other interesting theories maybe from another denomination called the latter-day saints who thought that it was jesus's wedding and um and uh it was actually his wedding he was at and and Jesus had multiple, and I'm like, no, you don't, you guys obviously don't read your Bible. Many theories out there. And, um, you know, the Word of God is so powerful, so potent, that you can read it so many times and get something fresh out of it every time. I'm not saying that this is the complete revelation, and I'm not saying that other theologians and scholars don't have it right, but... Um, eventually God spoke to me out of this passage and it was so powerful, it changed the way that I perceived my relationship with God. Something that seems so insignificant, this is what you have to be careful of. When you read the Word of God, you've got to read it with spiritual eyes because something that can seem so insignificant in the Word of God can be powerful enough to change your life forever. And so I'll never forget the day when uh, God finally revealed something so powerful out of this uh, passage of Scripture, this, this, um, 
story. And um, I'd like to share three things that God really spoke to me. And the title of my message for today is Why Water to Wine? If you're taking notes, Why Water to Wine? The first thing that God spoke to me out of this was, is that Jesus responds to expectation. Jesus responds to expectation. I have since learned that the power of God doesn't move on a needs basis. His power doesn't move on a needs basis. God responds to hunger. You see, if God only responded to needs, there would be nothing that He would really need to do for us today. If God just responded to raw need or raw depravity, His power would be set over Syria at the moment, or He would be in Calcutta, or He would be in Eastern Europe, in Bulgaria or Romania, in those places where there are genuine needs. You see, I've since learned to understand that if you are sitting in this room right now, you automatically qualify regardless of what is in your bank account, you automatically qualify in the top 5% wealthiest people on the planet. I know we get sick. I know we get afflicted. I know that so many of us carry all kinds of things, but need, God doesn't necessarily necessarily respond to need because why on earth would we see miracles here today? You know, I've heard uh, like I said, in, in Europe, if, particularly in Scandinavia, where we're based from, it's the most secular place in the world. I won't even tell you what they put on the side of buses just driving down the road. But we've seen some incredible miracles happen there. What is it? It's not based on need. God responds to hunger. He responds to faith. It says in uh, verses 3 to 5 that when the, the, the wine supply ran out, Mary approached him and said, hey, Jesus, they have no more wine. He said, that's not my problem. And she ignored him and turned straight to the servants. And in her mind, it was already a foregone conclusion. You see, this was his first miracle. She didn't have anything else to gauge on. It's not like they were driving to the wedding and the car ran out of petrol and then they prayed and then the tank magically filled up. This is the first miracle. She had no other point of reference, but what I can see in that story is she knew who Jesus was. I'm sure that growing up in his lifetime, he would have been confronted with need after need after need. But here we have in this situation a moment with all the audacity of a mother. Mary turns to him and says, Jesus, I know you can do it. Here is a situation we need to fix. And he says, my time's not come. This isn't my moment. This isn't my problem. In that moment, something rises up from within Mary and she turns to the servants in one of the greatest assumptions ever and says, just do whatever he tells you. She knew something about Jesus. She knew that if she just stepped out in faith, if she just expected him to move then he would move she broke rank she didn't follow the script because what we see here is Jesus saying oh it's not my time yet isn't that isn't that sometimes how we approach life when we're believing for a miracle when when we're in a difficult situation and we're like surely God I need you to move but maybe this isn't you know maybe I'll just give up maybe this isn't the time Maybe I have to just suffer a little longer. When was the last time you prayed with expectation? No, you know what, Jesus? You might not have done any other miracle in my life, but because I've heard who you are, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. You might not have ever felt God do a dramatic miracle in your life ever, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. If you've heard who Jesus is, if you've read who Jesus is, if you know and understand that He is God and He is good, well, there is enough faith in your life, even if it is a mustard seed, to speak to that mountain and see it move. All you need to hear 
is the Word of God. And this morning, I'm coming to tell you and share with you the Word of God is that God is willing to do a miracle in your life. If you would just expect and believe. I can think of two other occasions in the Bible where Jesus just moved according to rare, uh, sorry, raw expectation. No other context, no other, no other qualification. I think of in Matthew 15, the Gentile woman approaches Jesus and said, heal my daughter. Jesus replied, I haven't been sent for you, only Israel's people. And then he basically goes to call her a dog. Uncomfortable dogs. And then in a display of absolute wonderful audacity says, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. You see, she understood that he was her master. She obviously had heard about the heart of God. She had a revelation of who he was and then there was instant healing. In Mark chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood, she must have heard who Jesus was. She must have heard about the great miracles. She suffered so many years at the hands of doctors and physicians. She must have been so socially outcasted because she wasn't married, because she had an issue of blood. She had to crawl through the crowd. The, the reason why she only caught the hem of his garment was because she physically couldn't get to Jesus any other way. She had to crawl hand and feet. And as she reached out to Jesus, she just caught the hem of his garment. She reached out with the expectation that she had. And she didn't feel like she had much strength or anything to give. No honor, no right to request from God. She was a social outcast. But she still mustered enough confidence and expectation to reach out to Jesus and got healed. The funny thing is she didn't even get him. She didn't even grab him or rugby tackle him. She just clipped the edge of his garment. And it was the expectation so many times Jesus said, it's your social status that made you well. No, 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 no. It's, it's your education and your theological background that made you well. No, he, he didn't say that. He said, your faith has made you well. You might have never seen anything dramatic happen in your life. In fact, you could be pretty happy with your life. Could be pretty comfortable with your life. And that's okay. But if you need a miracle, you don't need to be the coolest kid on the block. You just need to reach out to God with expectation because He is willing and that hunger for his presence, that hunger for his nature, that hunger for who he is, is enough to move the compassion, the power, and the pleasing of the Lord. It is impossible to please God without faith. Expectation. My second point is this. And it's controversial almost wherever I share it, but I know it's the word of God. The second thing is, is that Jesus wants to bless you. Jesus wants to bless you. Now, I'm not about to start to talk about all this crazy prosperity doctrine and go, well, if you can name it, you can claim it. And if you want a Ferrari, you can claim a Ferrari. Look, you take that up with God. That's not what I'm here to preach about this morning. But I do know this, is that Jesus wants to bless you. Verse 6 to 8 says, Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. It means it was nasty water. It was bad. It was, it was basically where they held wastewater. He said, Fill the jars. When the jars had been filled, now dip out some and the, take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servants did this. I love how quickly... Jesus got on board with this situation. The Bible doesn't tell us that there was any argument or there was any debate. Mary literally just said, go, servants, get ready, just go do whatever he tells you to do. The next thing it says, Jesus says, great, see those six stone water jars, fill them up with water, take it to the master of ceremonies, fine, we're done with. Quite simple, 
quite fast. Now, in the grand scheme of things, you think, great, there's someone's wedding. What was really at stake at all of this? Just one man's embarrassment. Like, nobody was going to die over this thing. Nobody was going to, like, lose an arm or they were going to be blind for the rest of their life. All it was was a bit of honour. All it was was just a gesture to bless somebody. Now, Jesus goes from, I don't care, it's not my time, why are you even asking me? In a moment, goes into action and says, see those stone water jars over there? Go fill them, we're just going to sort this out. Now, if you do some exegetical research on this passage of Scripture, you've got to see just how crazy generous this act was. Listen to this. One stone water jar was 20 to 30 gallons, and there was six of them. And the Bible says he ordered them to fill them up. Now, we did some, I checked my calculations this morning. I learned this morning from my dad that there's a difference between a British gallon and an American gallon. So we went with the British gallons, um, again, just to keep my Welsh friends pleased as well. They get really touchy about that kind of stuff. Um, 20 to 30 gallons is the equivalent of 90 to 135 litres times six. So that equals 540 to 810 litres, somewhere in between there. Now, what you've got to remember that the Bible says that this was the best wine. We're not talking like a casket of Lambrusco from down the road or what some of the young people would call a bag of goon. We're not talking about that. The best wine. Now, not being really much of a wine connoisseur myself, um, I had to go do some Googling. And so I looked up on Dan Murphy's online, and I don't know if it's still up there, but I saw that a top bottle of Shiraz was worth $80,000 Australian. And I know that that's not even the most expensive bottle of wine in the world. That's just what they happen to stock. So as a good uh, you know, student of Calvary Christian College, I took into consideration the socioeconomic that we're dealing with here and um, based on the GDP of Australia and um, a once-in-a-lifetime celebration for people around our socio-demographic is that if we really... Well, if, if someone else wanted to let their hair down... If we really wanted to splurge, you'd spend about $150 on a bottle of red wine. Like, that would really, really be pushing it for us. Like, we'd be like, whoa, man, like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime splurging. So, I thought, okay, well, in our, in our opinion, the best, most conceivable bottle of wine that we would ever want to purchase would be $150. So, let's go back to the mathematics. An average bottle of wine is 750. I can see my cousin on the front row. Yeah, statistics, yeah. He's an engineer. I like this. It's good, the details. 750 mils, right? So based on around five to 800 litres, that is 700 to, 720 to 1,120 bottles of wine, of the best wine. If you add up all of those sums, Jesus goes from, it's not my problem. Mate, leave me alone, mum. You're embarrassing me. I'm at a wedding and you're talk. don't talk to me, mum. He goes from that to, boom, here have some beverages worth $100,000 to $180,000 worth of drinks at a wedding. In a moment, I don't know about you, but that gets my heart excited because God didn't even want to do it. But just because Mary reached out in expectation, God said, here is your miracle. And it is a reflection of my heart and how I want to bless you. What are you believing for? I don't know what some of the prayers you've prayed are. God, will you just look after my family? Will you just keep my family safe? How big are the prayers you're praying? God, what do you want to do for this church? God, we just want to 
get out of debt. God, we just, we just want to do well. No, 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 no. God's saying, what do you believe me for? Who do you think I am? Am I just Jesus from Nazareth or am I the resurrected Son of God, King of the universe? The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. I'm tired of seeing other people more blessed than the church. We are the sons and daughters of God. What is your expectation? I'm not saying that we all need to go out and drive a Bentley tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we serve a big God. We serve a mighty God. And if you just lay a hold of what He says you can have, if you just make a decision, God, well then what is it that you say about my life? God says, well... I wasn't willing. It's amazing what a bit of expectation can do. Every time that someone asks God in the Bible, are you willing? Or ask Jesus, are you willing? If you're willing, will you heal me? Every time Jesus said, yeah, I'm willing. What's your need? In fact, what's your heart's desire for your life, for your kids' life, for your grandkids' lives? God is so much bigger than what we... Well, God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or even think to ask. Jesus wants to bless you. If you talk about love languages, have the seven different love languages, you know, you learn, you learn a lot about that when you do pre-marriage courses. Love, my wife's is quality time. I don't, I don't even, I, I just think I just appreciate any love. Any of the seven, just any of them, I'll take what I can get. Give me, give me a massage or $20, I don't care, just give me something. A hug, someone say something nice about me. If there's seven love languages, one of them is gifts. God can give you gifts. Stop feeling condemned about wanting to be blessed. There is nothing in the Word of God that condemns you for wanting to be blessed. In fact, the Word of God says that we are above and not below and beneath, whatever the language is. I'm too busy trying to speak Danish these days. I'll never forget when my wife, beautiful, who who knows who's met Helena? A few people. Oh, there we go. She's basically a minor celebrity here. Um, I'll never forget when we found out that we were pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> with Matthias, like it was a total shock, um, and also a valuable lesson. And um, we, <laughs> like, do tell you about those things in high school, but anyway, much different in practice. So, anyway, we were having Matthias, and now you've got to understand, my wife, I definitely didn't take this into consideration. Now, Helena works <laughs> in the baby product industry. And so, when we found out we were pregnant, she would go to trade shows and she'd be like, oh, honey, look at this. Here's a new product. And, oh, when, when our child is born, we should buy this and buy this and buy that. And I'm like, honey, you have married the wrong guy. You married a pastor. If you were after a cash cow, you should have married a footballer or something like that. Because that's definitely not me. And so she was flicking through the prams, and I'm like, honey, I'm sure we can pick something up on eBay secondhand, or I could chat to my dad, and we can like, that was close, I nearly fell. I could chat to my dad, and we could zip tie some garbage bags together, put them on some dowel, and um, push him around in that, he'll be fine. She's like, no, you don't understand, you don't know how good these prams are. And and she'd she'd pull out this catalog and see this one, this brand is from America, and you can like uh, it folds like it folds down into the size of like a um, a cup, and you can like put it in like the ashtray in your car, and then when you fold it out, it's like one easy action, and you can like not just put one baby, but there's attachments that you can put two or three babies on there, and, and and also what it can do, it can survive a nuclear holocaust and cure cancer, and I was like, <laughs> you want that pram? How much does that cost? She's like, oh, it's it's good good value. It's only about $2,000. $2,000 for a pram, honey. You've married the wrong person. She's like, no, I haven't. I know that Jesus loves me, and I know that he wants to bless me. You're the pastor. You should know this. Oh, no. 
So the reason, young people, the reason why you get married is so that you can have someone to tell you how silly you are, keep you honest. It's like getting married to a mirror and um, not one of the nice mirrors, one of those ones that make you look like really extra round and short and fat. Anyway, no, she's beautiful. So what she did in a display of absolute faith and defiance of the devil and our financial situation, she grabs a catalogue, she circles it with a giant Nico pen and has this sign pointing at it and says, this one, Jesus, in navy blue, and puts puts it on the kitchen bench. So for months, I, I could hear her from like watching TV out in the living room. Every time she walked through the kitchen, she'd be like, thank you, Jesus, for our pram. Next time she'd walk past, yes, this one, Jesus, navy blue, we thank you, God, that you're going to give us this pram for Matthias. I'm sitting in the lounge room, mighty man of faith, it's just a pram for crying out loud, like, every time, thank you, Jesus, this one, Jesus, every time. Fast forward uh, to like, I don't know, two months or something before he was born, crazy woman flies to Germany to work at a trade show. And um, I'm, I'm preaching in Denmark at the time, and she rings me, and she's like, it's here, the pram's here. I'm like, oh, no, what? It's here, the company is at the trade show. And I was like, oh, look, babe, you need a miracle. She's like, no, we're going to do it. What, what, what should we do? Like, can we tell them we'll pick it up on the last day? And I just had this, to be a youth pastor, you've got to learn how to hustle. Like, I'm just saying, you've got to learn how to, like, be advantageous and industrious no matter you got to find money from somewhere like under a seat and I said look well try this just go to them at the end of the trade show now I know that this is actually the Holy Spirit later because sometimes it takes a while for him to get through to me and um I said go (laughs) be quiet Wayne you said it's true um go to them at the last moment when they're setting when they're packing up their stall and say hey you don't want to freight all of those back to America, do you? Um, I can make an offer on that navy blue one right there. And so she did it. So she went to them and said, hey, uh, I really love your prams. I'm from this company over there and uh, I'm just about to pack up. But if you don't want to pack that one up, um, you know, I'd be happy to buy one. And they said, oh, look, um, well, well, we'll call head office and before we pack up, like at the end of the day, we'll email you. So Helena's packing up the stand. I'm getting text messages. I haven't heard from them yet. And I'm like, just be patient. And, and she's like, they haven't sent me an email or a quote or anything like that. And I'm just like, look, before you walk out of the building, just go and double check. And so she did that. She's about to leave the convention. And she, um, she walks up. Hi, I'm Helena. I'm the one that wanted the pram. And uh, just wondering what the price was. And they said, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, rang head office. That's totally fine. Um, you can have the whole thing, every attachment, for about 300 pounds. It's like, 300 pounds? I was like, that is cheap. But I'm sorry, honey. That was about $500. We don't have a spare $500. And um, at that time, I don't know, have I told you this story, Dad? I can't remember. Probably a less dramatic version. And... Um, I either remember, I remembered a conversation that I had with, with dad and, and they wanted to contribute to, to buying Matthias's pram. And that was the exact amount that we needed to purchase the pram. So long story short, we got the pram. It's a miracle. A pram that was the price of a small car, secondhand car, we ended up getting for nothing. And some of you are looking at me like, what on earth is this guy talking about? It's just a pram. We could have, we could have like settled for like a skateboard with a pillow on it or something like that. Like he was going to survive. Like we could have done something, but there was something that rose up in Helena's heart. You know what? No, I know my God. I know my God is good. I know that we don't have to just get by and make do. I, I know that he loves me enough that he will give me the desires of my heart. What does the word say? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will what? Give you the desires of your heart. Is your delight in God? Is your delight in God? Do you love him? 
Are you happy to surrender your life in service to him? Well, if you are, guess what? He can give you, he wants to give you the desires of your heart. If your desire is for greed, if your desire is for selfishness, good luck with that one. But if there is pure and noble and great desires in your heart, guess what? God promises you, you don't even have to convince him. You just have to believe and expect that your God is good, that your God loves you. So you can believe for good things from him. My third and last point is this, if the, the worship team want to get ready, because um, we're going we're gonna to come into land. The third thing is that Jesus can make up for lost time. Jesus responds to expectation. He wants to bless you, but he can also make up for lost time. Our God is an expert at the last minute rescue. Our God is an expert at making up for brokenness, for hurt, pain, long-suffering. Our God can turn a long time of lack and need into blessing in an instant. I haven't done a research on how many suddenlies there are in the Bible. Do you know, Wayne, how many suddenlies? <sighs> so disappointed. I thought, <laughs> I thought you were a Bible school principal. 22? That's a guess. There's so many, well, listen to me, I don't have a clue either, but anyway, I know there's a lot. There's a lot of suddenly moments in the Word of God. God can make up for lost time. In, in, the, in the last verse, chapter 10, in this passage says, you have kept the best until now, until now. The best. Now, we're not talking about cordial here. We're not talking about we just filled up these like, jars of dirty water and just tipped a bit of cotties in the top, lime flavoured, no, no, it'd be like raspberry flavoured maybe, I don't know, grapefruit, anyway, calm down Joel, um, it's not cordial, if you know anything about wine is that it takes time, see you have to, to, to like, if you wanted to make wine today, first of all, You'd have to find like the right place to do it because I mean like Sirame down the road, they've obviously found the right thing but you'd have to find the right place to do it. You'd have to plant the seed. You'd have to cultivate that. You'd have to wait for the fruit to grow and then you'd have to pick it and then you'd have to process it, crush it, make the mix and then you'd have to put it into like these barrels. We're talking, that's a long time to do that. And then the magic ingredient on top of that is you have to wait a long time. In fact, if you take time out of the equation, you don't make wine, you make vinegar. The only thing vinegar is good, the only thing it's good for is like on my chips with a bit of salt. Vinegar, you know, you don't have to drink vinegar because that's what they gave our Lord and Savior on the cross when he died for your sins. We're talking about wine here. The major ingredient just to make wine is time. But if you're talking about the best wine, you have kept the best wine until now. You don't have to wait months. You don't have to wait years. You have to wait decades and decades and decades for the best wine. I love this miracle so much because it isn't just this freak occurrence. It isn't just this like blip on like the, the biological radar. It doesn't happen by chance. It's not something that um, scientists can try and reason out. The best part about this is that it's something that no one can reason about and that is time. The best wine until now. The thing that I get so overwhelmed with is that in a moment, years of heartbreak, years of pain, years of suffering and survival in one moment of expectation. God can turn your situation around 
And all of a sudden, when your life was just producing water, when your life was just producing, oh, we've got to get by, we've just got to stay hydrated, we can't like pass out, we just need to get through the day, God can turn your life from average water into the best wine. Something that could have taken, financially, whoever I'm speaking to this morning, something, you know, there's someone here who is the victim of a really bad financial situation. And you've said to yourself, this is going to take decades to recover. I don't know if I can do this. Well, guess what? God can. You could have been walking through years and decades of suffering, wondering, I don't know if this thing's ever going to get better. The first, the first thing that Jesus did was demonstrated to all of humanity that even when you think time is your limitation, even when you think your age is your limitation, oh, I'm too old for God to do anything anymore. That's for the young people. I'm just going to let the young people have faith and expectation. I'm just, I'm just going to let the young people go on and do all the things in the kingdom. You know, God can save the best wine until last. He can do something with your life that can make up for decades of, I'm not even just talking about suffering even mediocrity the one thing that God had to heal me from for me to possess my call was he had to convict me of my own mediocrity God had to rebuke me for my own sense of averageness God can take what is bad God can take what is average and make something incredible in just a moment. For those of you who think that your best ministry days are behind you, let let me remind you of a few people who you're related to through the blood of Jesus. I think of Smith Wigglesworth, born into poverty, basically was illiterate, couldn't read and write. He... um, married a member of the Salvation Army and she taught him to read and write. But she died fairly young into their marriage. Incredible heartbreak. At 48 years of age, he discovered the Holy Spirit. He encountered the Holy Spirit at 48. When he was 55, he first started his healing ministry. And it was only until he was 61 that he started traveling and ministering around the world. And you and I only understand Pentecostalism, charismatic uh, renewal, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they attribute the, the first move of the Holy Spirit in Australia to the time when Smith Wigglesworth visited Australia. After he was 61 years old. I think of Nelson Mandela. He was released from jail when he was, what, 72? Didn't really hit his straps in what he was there to reform South Africa for. I don't understand the full history, but he was old by the time he really stepped into what God had put him in that nation to do. Both of these guys could have been forgiven for highlighting their situation. Oh, my name's Smith. I don't have an education, can't read, can't write. Too old. My wife died when I was young. I'm just carrying so much pain, so much heartache, so much uh, limitation. I was born into poverty. There's nothing about me that could ever do something great. And he turns into one of the world's greatest healing evangelists ever. Nelson Mandela spent, was it 27 years in jail? 27 years in jail. He was an old man by the time he came back. Talk about an excuse. What good can come from my life? Jesus, what good can come from Nazareth? This is the God that we serve. This is what's so powerful about his ministry. When you look into the Word of God, if you just look into it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, you see that. There is so much more to who God is. There is so much more to who, what, God wants you, what God wants for your life. And 
this doesn't come from a place of condemnation. This doesn't come from a place of like, well, to be a great person, you need to be doing more with your life. No, 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 no. It's just all about what are you believing? What are you believing for God for your life? What part of God's nature have you encountered? Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much God wants to use you? You know, for me, it took a lot of confidence to step from behind that drum kit to, to move to the western suburbs of Brisbane where I had absolutely nothing in common with those kids. The lowest socioeconomic high school in the state of Queensland. It took a lot of confidence for me to move my young family to the other side of the planet with no job and no safety net to catch us when we landed. You know, all it came out of just an encounter with God and knowing by hearing His Word that says He can do infinitely more than I could ask or imagine. And this morning as, the, as we get ready to worship... I think the worship team left the building. Oh, oh, there they are. Hey, Jeff. I just want to pray for some people this morning. If we'd like to bow our heads and close our eyes. I actually didn't ask Scott how this normally works, how you do prayer ministry and whatnot, but just have fun. Oh, please don't say that. It'll be the last time you say that. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to pray generally for a moment and then I'm going to ask the Lord to do what He wants to do. So, but right now, God, we just open our hearts. God, we open our lives afresh. And Lord, I pray that what people would hear this morning isn't a word of, oh, I haven't become enough. God, I pray right now that you would come you would lift burdens off people's lives god i pray right now that your holy spirit would move and restore vision restore hopes restore dreams god that um uh blinders would fall off people's lives god that they would see you high and lifted up god that they would see you as the god who isn't just transcendent But God, they would see you as the God who is imminent, who is closer than a brother, the God who wants to lift their head and and, and seat us in heavenly realms through Christ Jesus. God, I just pray right now that you would release something this morning. God, that people would be changed in what they see, God, that people would be changed in what they believe, that all of a sudden, God, that they would see that the impossible is now possible. God, that the limitations, God, that they've placed on themselves or the the limitations that other people have placed on them, God, don't stand for anything in your presence, God. It's who you say we are. It's what you say about us. Who do you say that I am, says God. He's not just your ticket into heaven. He's not just your calling card of what your value system is. He is your saver, your redeemer, your provider. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If we just want to stand to our feet right now, if that's okay, we're going to enter into a time of worship, but I just have...